This is Crane's Daily Gist. I'm Amy Guth. On this episode of the podcast, Chicago is set for phase four of reopening this week. And that news follows the mayor's announcement last week that indoor seating in bars and restaurants would start up again. We'll talk more about that and other stories coming up today on the podcast. But first, this word from our sponsor. We're all navigating uncertain times. A big part of that includes concerns over financial security. At Chicago's bank, Wintrust is ready to help. Whether you're looking for refinance solutions to take advantage of low rates and reduce payments or a personal or business account that offers 15 times the standard FDIC insurance, they've got you covered. We're in this together. We'll get through it together. Find a location to call at Wintrust.com slash find us. Member FDIC equal housing lender. Businesses looking for help in navigating the COVID-19 crisis should check out Small Business Lifeline, a new weekly podcast from Cranes. Every Thursday, the free Small Business Lifeline will offer expert advice and information on accessing needed resources during the crisis. Listen to Small Business Lifeline at chicagobusiness.com slash SBL. Freshly delivered property tax bills are starting to reveal what many had predicted about where Cook County Assessor Fritz Kage had placed the county's tax burden. I'm joined now by Crane Senior Reporter covering commercial real estate, Albie Galoon. So Albie, to start, set the scene for me on the state of Cook County property taxes. In Cook County, the residential property taxes went up 1.3% and commercial property taxes went up 9.8%. And what's really most interesting is what happened in the northern suburbs because the northern suburbs are the first area to be reassessed by Cook County Assessor Fritz Kage, who was elected in 2018. And so the um, county is assessed on a three-year cycle. And so Kage is starting with the northern suburbs and he's going to the western and southern suburbs this year. And then in 2021, he'll assess the city. So last year he did the northern suburbs. This year, property owners in the northern suburbs got their tax bills based on last year's assessment. So this really provides us with a first look at what we call the Kagi effect. You know, how much did people's taxes go up as a result of reassessment? And in the northern suburbs, residential property taxes went up 1.1% and commercial property taxes went up 15.8%. Why is that important? Well, Kagi, he's kind of controversial with commercial landlords because he really jacked up their assessments last year. And even after the Board of Review, which is a second body that basically looks at taxes, you can appeal your taxes there. Even after the Board of Review lowered the assessment from Kagi, assessments still went up something like 24%. And so that translated into a roughly 16% increase in taxes. So those are kind of the numbers. And, you know, I don't think this is going to really change anyone's opinion of Fritz Kage. If you're a landlord, you're not a big fan of his. But on the other hand, if you are a homeowner, you're still not probably a big fan of him because he's part of the entire property tax system and nobody likes paying property taxes. But you may be better off as a result of what happened with his assessments last year. At the time when he was doing that assessment for the northern suburbs, you and I were talking about this and how a lot of misinformation was kind of swirling around the difference between your assessment and your actual bill. That, it, you know, just because your assessment went up X percent doesn't mean your bill was going to necessarily go up that much, that that same percentage. And, and now here's kind of the moment of truth. Has the reaction been about what you expected or, or do you think people have been surprised by the result? 
you know, I still need to talk to a lot of people. And this data came out late last week. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to that many people yet. But I will say that on the commercial side, these numbers seem to confirm what commercial landlords have thought, uh, that they're over-assessed and they're not happy about it. And so on the residential side, it's interesting because I think, as you said, your assessment doesn't necessarily translate. If you get a, an increased assessment, it doesn't necessarily even mean your taxes are going to go up. I think a lot of homeowners in Northern Cook County probably got their assessment last year. You know, let's say if you're a homeowner lives somewhere in the Northern suburbs, you got one that says your property value went up, you know, 15%. You're going to be better off because if, you know, commercial assessments went up 25%, you know, what matters is the relative change in your assessment. The absolute change really doesn't matter. So if my assessment goes up more than your assessment, obviously, you know, there's a chance that you will pay less taxes and I'll just pay more taxes. So it's really just how the, the uh, tax burden is distributed. I want to talk to you about uh, Renew Cook County, which is a, a group that's running kind of this PR campaign against Kagi. Tell me about that and, and what's going on there. Well, this is, is led by a PR firm that kind of was in charge of the campaign against Cook County President Tony Preckwinkle's soda tax. So they were successful at keep fixing that. And so now they're called Resolute Consulting. Now they... Um, and, you know, they have clients. They have, generally speaking, landlords and businesses who are not happy with what is happening under Fritz Kagi. So they are, you know, speaking out. They're doing what you would expect in a public affairs campaign. They're, you know, talking to media organizations and putting out information that, that helps their side. And um, so, you know, this is a group that, you know, started kind of making noise a few months ago. And so they're just a, a part of the debate and they're, um, you know, a pretty vocal voice. In reporting all of this from, from even when, when the assessment, the reassessments first started from Kagi's office to now, what part of it has been most surprising or maybe, you know, most interesting to you about it? Well, I think that it's, you know, Kagi came in as a reformer, right? He unseated Joe Berrios, who was kind of part of the old guard. And, you know, everybody criticized him for being too cozy with landlords and property tax appeals attorneys. You know, uh, Berrios was was criticized for under-assessing commercial property owners and over-assessing homeowners. And, you know, he was also criticized for just having inaccurate assessments. And the Chicago Tribune and ProPublica did a big package of stories about the problems under Berrios and how inaccurate his assessments were. We did some stories about it. And I think what surprised me the most is that a lot of these, we looked at what happens to assessments after a property is sold. And we, we decided last year to compare the assessed values of commercial properties in the northern suburbs with their recent sale prices. Because, you know, the whole idea of assessing a property is you want to get as close to the real value, the market value of the property as possible, right? So if a property sells for $75 million, we're talking a big suburban office building, then, you know, if you're the assessor, if you're doing your job, you're going to be kind of close to that. You know, it's never perfect. It's kind of a, it's art and science, but you want to get close to the market value. And even last year, you know, Kagi did not get that close. And he really, he still under-assessed a lot of commercial properties 
last year, we found. And so, you know, I think that he's still got a lot of work ahead of him. He realizes that. And so this is going to be an ongoing story. It'll be really interesting to see what happens this year with his assessments and also next year because Chicago is where most of Cook County's property wealth is, especially in downtown Chicago. So what he does there will really have a much larger impact than, you know, what he's done in the northern suburbs. And speaking of looking forward to when other parts of the of the Chicago metro area are reassessed, particularly the city, you know, there's the the argument that hey, if this this could all backfire and prevent developers from wanting to invest here. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that is a major argument that people in the real estate industry use, and there's a lot of concern that what's happening with our assessment is going to scare away real estate investors and just just kind of hurt the area's business climate because it's going to raise taxes on businesses that lease space in commercial buildings because ultimately they have to pay the taxes in many cases. You know, it, it's a really complicated argument. It's hard to um, it's hard to come up with definitive evidence to show that that's happening. Last year, there were some signs that uh, property, uh, uh, real estate sales were dropping in the Chicago area, and some people attributed that to the uncertainty over what's happening with property taxes and assessments. It's possible that that was going on, but we don't know for sure. But what's really important here is that this creates a lot of uncertainty, and businesses hate uncertainty. Real estate investors hate uncertainty. And what a lot of them are really uncertain about now is what's going to happen in downtown Chicago, where a lot of investors from all over the world own and buy property. And you have a lot of money riding on, you know, what's going to happen with property taxes in downtown Chicago. And so I think it's fair to say that there are investors who are saying, I'm not buying in Chicago until I see what happens with the uh, assessments and also what happens with the, you know, the city's fiscal condition and the state's fiscal condition. You know, Lori Lightfoot said the other day that the city's facing a $700 million deficit and you know, she's not ruling out a property tax hike. So, you know, the assessor is just one piece of the puzzle. A lot of it has to do with, you know, how much the city of Chicago is going to need to fund government. So while this information that got to the property tax bills last week, that, that kind of helps fill in a blank. It doesn't answer the complete question about what's going to happen with downtown Chicago, which is still, you know, really the most important real estate in the county. Then on top of that, we have to wait and see if companies want less space, if that changes kind of the real estate landscape. I think that's a whole other conversation, but I think it's kind of part of this of what does the office look like on the other side of the pandemic? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, Amy, because it's, um, there are a lot of people who are talking about that these days. And, and there, are all, there are all sorts of ideas on, on what's going to happen with office space. And are companies going to want less office space because more people are going to be working from home? Are we maybe going to see more demand for office space from companies, say, in Silicon Valley because they want to, um, you know, kind of spread their workforce around the country? Nobody really knows, but everybody's, you know, throwing out ideas. I have to think that, you know, we're not going to see a lot of demand for office space, at least in the short term, when we're in the recession, you know, you see vacancy rates go up, 
and rents go down. And I think we're going to see that in the coming months. The numbers aren't really in yet. And then property values go down. So, you know, there's a lot of concern, regardless of what's happening with the assessor, a lot of concern about what's going to happen with with property values is due to this economic situation we're in. And, you know, Fritz Kagey has been trying to address that because he's actually in the process of adjusting property values as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. So people are going to see that, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to happen this year because tax bills are already out, but it'll show up in tax bills next year. For some people that might be too late, but, you know, he is trying to account for that. I feel like every single podcast conversation that I have for the last several months all ends with, well, we're going to have to wait and see. But I think that's the case here, too, that we just kind of have to wait and see how so many of these converging factors play out. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's it's really hard to say what the real estate market is going to look like six months from now, let alone, you know, a year and a half from now is, you know, if if you look at. We just talked about the office market, which is really in this state of uncertainty. The hotel market was in a free fall for a while. Maybe it stabilized a little bit. The the retail market is really struggling, and I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. And really, the only sector that seems to be healthy these days is industrial. There's a lot of demand for warehouse space. So if you want to tie all that back to what we're talking about, which is assessment, I mean, I think you're going to see all those move in different directions. But again, as we were talking about before, that's just merely going to change how the property tax burden is distributed. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the how the assessor accounts for all that. It's not I I wouldn't want to be him or the people who work in his office because I think they've got a really hard job. Indeed. Well, lots of moving parts, and I really appreciate you taking time to talk it through today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Amy. Coming up, calling out racism as a public health crisis, 36 Chicago hospitals and clinics pledge to improve health equity across the city. We'll dig deeper into that story and others right after this. For a daily roundup of stories about how the coronavirus outbreak is impacting business and the economy, sign up for our free newsletter at chicagobusiness.com slash coronavirus update. All one word. The paywall has been dropped for all coronavirus stories at chicagobusiness.com, but we do encourage you to consider subscribing to support our journalism. And if you receive cranes in print at the office and are missing it while working from home, you can always access the electronic edition anytime at chicagobusiness.com dot com slash digital edition. Again, that's chicagobusiness.com slash coronavirus update for the free newsletter and chicagobusiness.com slash digital edition. So you don't miss a thing from the print edition while you're working from home. Looking to today's stories, Mayor Lightfoot's announced that the city's on track to join the state in moving into phase four of its reopening guidelines on Friday. And this is on the heels of Lightfoot's announcement last week that indoor seating in bars and restaurants would resume Friday. This next phase allows for gatherings of up to 50 people indoors, up to 100 people outdoors, and the ability to reopen museums and zoos, performance venues, summer camps, and youth activities. The city said in a release that this fourth phase, called Gradually Resume, is happening because of a continuous 
continued decline in newly diagnosed COVID-19 cases, with that number going down locally since a peak in early May. Hospitalizations, deaths, and ER visits are down. Also, testing has increased, and the percentage of people testing positive locally is also down to about 5%. Chicago Department of Public Health Commissioner Allison Arwady cautioned in the release that Chicago still has a lot of cases and, quote, we're just now moving from a high risk to a medium high risk city for COVID-19 spread based on our numbers and we need to move ahead cautiously. She continued, I can't emphasize enough the need for people and businesses to continue to abide by the public health guidance so we can avoid the spike in cases we're seeing in other cities and states that reopened before us. Zooming out to the state level, Governor Pritzker said today that new rules will enable gyms, theaters, museums, and outdoor dining to resume when the state moves to its phase four of the recovery plan, also on Friday, with capacity limits and a variety of safety rules also applying to those venues. And under Pritzker's reopening, the state expects 400,000 Illinois residents to return to work. A company whistleblower told a U.S. Senate committee that Chicago-based Boeing and the FAA disregarded regulations and ignored system safety concerns in the original 737 MAX jetliner certification. In a letter dated June 5th, Curtis Eubank, who was a flight deck engineer who worked on the MAX, called on U.S. regulators to update its oversight and make an independent channel for engineers to raise safety issues. This letter, mind you, was before FAA Administrator Steve Dixon testified before the Senate Commerce Committee on June 17th. In his letter, Eubank wrote that the aircraft's original certification was accomplished with, quote, hand-waving and the deception to hide the numerous ways the 1960s-era design of the 737 does not meet current regulatory standards or a modern concept of aviation safety. He also faulted Boeing and the FAA for, quote, allowing such reckless disregard of regulations. The letter speaks to the level of scrutiny the FAA and Boeing are both facing as they work through ending the grounding of the 737 MAX, which has been in place since March of last year, following two fatal accidents that killed 346 people. Eubank said that Boeing tried to change the MAX flight deck as little as possible from a previous version of the 737 to avoid having regulators review the plane as a completely new aircraft type, thus slowing the plane's development and requiring pilots be trained in flight simulators. Eubank said he resigned from Boeing in 2015 in protest, then returned to the company three years later to witness what he described as, quote, the nightmare of the very accident accidents that he said he tried to prevent. In his missive, Eubanks called on the FAA to make its certification process more robust to monitor evolving technologies such as digital twin software. The company said it hadn't seen his letter and said that it does offer its employees a number of channels for raising concerns and complaints. Bipartisan legislation unveiled in the Senate would require more direct FAA oversight of manufacturers and would direct the agency to reevaluate how pilots interact with aircraft systems when reviewing the safety of new plans particularly how flight crews respond to multiple cockpit alerts and automated flight control systems. The FAA would also set up an anonymous reporting program for agency workers to relay safety concerns about new aircraft designs during the certification process, and whistleblower protections for airline employees would be extended to manufacturer contractors. Amazon is growing in South Suburban Chicago with plans to open two fulfillment centers in Madison and Markham that'll translate into jobs for about 2,000 people. The two warehouses will be the newest addition to Amazon's local distribution network, which already entails 11 sorting and fulfillment centers, according to a statement from the company, Governor J.B. Pritzker, and Cook County President Tony Preckwinkle, who held a news conference earlier this morning. The projects will add to Amazon's workforce in Illinois, which currently is over 11,000. According to the company, Amazon's new 
fulfillment centers will use proprietary robotics technology to pick, pack, and ship products. And according to an Amazon spokesperson, the company will own its warehouse in Madison, which is being developed by Atlanta-based Seafried Industrial Properties, and lease the building in Markham, which was developed by Indianapolis-based Scannell Properties. In one final story for today, calling out systemic racism as a public health crisis, late last week, Chicago's largest hospitals and clinics pledged to improve health equity across the city. In addition to supporting programs that help people of color find health care jobs, in an open letter, each organization pledged to provide anti-racism training for staff and create new policies that promote equity, among other commitments. The group, which collectively treats more than 8 million patients, includes large Chicago-based hospital chains like Rush, safety nets like Loretto that treat large numbers of low-income patients, and a number of government-funded clinics like Esperanza Health Centers. Impending commitments will address both patients and workers. For example, a policy might ensure that people on Medicaid as well as those without insurance have the same access to health care services as people with well-paying coverage. For workers, that could mean a commitment to promoting people of color who are in entry-level positions. Initially, the 36 organizations have ID'd seven steps that take to address systemic racism, which the open letter describes as, quote, a real threat to the health of our patients, families, and communities. Those steps include re-examining and changing institutional policies, promoting access to primary and specialty care, helping communities address chronic conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and asthma, working towards improvements in health outcomes for communities, making a commitment to hiring locally and promoting leaders of color, providing anti-racism and implicit bias training for doctors, nurses, and other staff members, and pushing for more funding for social needs, social services, and programs that promote social justice. Head to chicagobusiness.com to find a list of the 36 participating healthcare organizations. Until tomorrow, that's all for Crane's Daily Gist. Thanks so much to producer Haima Black and to today's guest, Albie Galoon. Be sure to find business news, data analysis, and more at Crane's Chicago Business online and in print. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter and LinkedIn. And let's continue the conversation there about these and other business stories most on your mind. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here tomorrow.